on up to the mountain of mercy to the crimson perpetual tide kneel down on the shore be thirsty no more go under and be purified follow Christ to the holy mountain sinner sorry and wrecked by the fall cleanse your heart and soul in the fountain that flows for you and for me and for all at the wonderful tragic mysterious street on that beautiful scandalous night you and me were atoned by his blood and forever washed white on that beautiful scandalous night hillside he will be delivered at the foot of the cross justified and your spirit restored by the river that pours from our blessed Savior's side at the wonderful tragic mysterious dream on that beautiful scandalous night you and me were atoned by his blood and forever washed away on that beautiful scandalous night go on up to the mountain of mercy to the crimson perpetual tide Kneel down on the shore, be thirsty no more, go under and be purified. At the wonderful, tragic, mysterious dream, on that beautiful, scandalous night, you and me were atoned by his blood and forever washed white on that beautiful, scandalous night. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds 
we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his, gen as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was, he has put him to grief, yet his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. He, the, the will of the Lord, shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered on with the transgressors. transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors.
mercy giver of life sing to Jesus his is the Mark 15, 16 through 39. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, 
save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away Has wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory Give an answer, but 
Good evening, church. When Seth asked me to bring the message on Good Friday, I had no idea how emotional that experience would be. While I, of course, have reflected on the meaning of the cross many times over the years, I wasn't really prepared for the weight of trying to communicate that to my church family that I love. So, there were times that I broke down in prayer, just trying to process it all. And there were times when, you know, just the emotion of it overwhelmed me. So, <clears throat> as we prepare our hearts to read God's Word, uh, would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, Creator God, your power and authority over all things is beyond our human comprehension. We are dead in our sin without your unending grace, and we are grateful for the countless blessings and good gifts that you lavish on us. And above all, the ultimate gift of your person and work of Jesus made possible by your sacrifice for us. As we read your word and reflect on the wonders of the cross and your immeasurable love for us, we are humbled and so aware of our sin. Undeserving as we are, may our hearts be tuned to you and your gospel. And through your word, may we realize a greater assurance of our salvation because of the work of Jesus on the cross. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Traditionally, you would hear uh, a sermon based on diving deep into one of the four gospels. Um, Tonight, on this Good Friday, we are going to answer the most important question of the 21st century. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he die? Subsequently, did he deserve to die? Was it necessary? What does it mean? We're going to read um, from Paul's letter to the church at Rome tonight. We're going to read in Romans 8, verse 31 and 32, if you would turn with me to that verse. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There's a focus in this text on the Father 
And there's a focus in this text on the Son. And last, there's a focus in this text on us. He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all. First, the gospel is about the Father. Yes, it's about Jesus and his work on the cross and that he was buried and resurrected from the dead and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Yes, it's about Jesus, but first, it's about the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We all know John 3.16, right? But God proved his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verse 8. How deep a Father's love for us. What a great song. Thank you, Lou. We're loved so deeply by the Father that he gave up his only son for us. We've got a, a heavenly Father who understands the searing loss of a son. I immediately go to um, the story about uh, Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22 and how that story um, became personal for me one night when I was preparing for a community group meeting back in 2018. Um, it was um, not long after Laurent and I had been blessed by God with a, an, another child. And um, it just hit home. I couldn't shake the image of uh, a father raising this knife above the body of his young, frightened-to-death son tied down to an altar. Um, I, just, I just couldn't, couldn't shake that image. So I probably had read this story or heard it 50 times over the years, and it really um, made this impact uh, on me to the extent that I actually said to myself, well, how would you do if you had to? came across that testing, you had to pass or fail. And honestly, I'd fail miserably. There's no question about it. I don't know how you would do, but it's not likely that we're going to be faced with a challenge of taking our child's life. But I had to ask myself, would I sacrifice my child for my God? It's a pretty humbling experience. Um, but God spared Isaac. We know the story. He provided a ram in the thicket, told Abraham not to harm the boy, and he spared Isaac, but he didn't spare his son. He could have, he could have spared Jesus. God requires that faith from us to reap the benefits of redemption. So who killed Jesus? Was it the high priests? Was it the Sanhedrin? Was it Pilate? Maybe Judas. Peter, in his Pentecost sermon, rebuked his fellow Jews, saying, though he was delivered up according to the God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Acts 2, 23. Ultimately, it was God that put Jesus to death. It was the justice of his father that held him on the cross. 
This shows the radical extent of God's love for us. He's loved us since the beginning of time, before the foundation of the world. He foreknew us. He predestined us. He called us. He justified us. He glorified us. That's the Father's love for us. Most important question we can ask is, why did Jesus have to die? What we know is that the wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned. So why did he have to die? There's just something fundamentally unjust about that. At the core, there's something wrong with it. There's really only two answers. One is that there isn't any justice in the world. You can live a perfect life, keep all the commandments, not commit any sins, yet pay the penalty for sins that you didn't commit. In that case, God is unjust and there isn't any justice in the world and we would spiral into cynicism and despair. Or, why did Jesus die? Because he deserved to die. It was the right thing. Because although Jesus didn't sin, all of our sin was put on his account. When the Father looked on him, he saw the greatest sinner that ever lived. Those are the words of Martin Luther, by the way. The death that Jesus endured was the reflex of God's holiness towards sin. The justice of his death lies in our sin that's put on his account. He died for us. He died in our place. God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus didn't raise himself. God accepted the substitutionary death for full payment of our sins for all those for whom Christ died. Second, there is a focus in this text on the Son. He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all. When you look upon the cross, you're staring straight at the weight of our sin laid upon Jesus. Sin destroys our relationship with God. Sin destroys our relationship with ourselves. Sin destroys our relationship with others. Sin destroys our relationship with the world. In short, sin destroys everything and drives us to the cross. We don't sin because we are sinners. We are sinners because we sin. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, verse 6. Charles Spurgeon loved to hammer on this. You could listen to his, one of his sermons. It doesn't matter which one. You're probably going to hear this multiple times throughout the sermon. Um, Christ died for the ungodly. Why would Jesus die? Why would God give up his son for a righteous person? Right? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Behind this lies the idea of an eternal agreement, an eternal pact between the Father and the Son. Formed in eternity, it's often called or known as the covenant of redemption. So I want you to imagine with me for a minute, a bit of a stretch, a conversation with the Father and the Son. It goes something like this. How are we going to pay the penalty for these sins? Who's going to save these sinners? How are we going to save them? Somebody has to be a substitute to satisfy the divine justice of God. Jesus said, I will go. He said, I'll bear the wrath that is the just penalty of sin. He satisfied God's divine justice. On two occasions, God speaks audibly to Jesus. One is at his baptism. The other is at the time of the transfiguration. And God says, you are my son and I love you. Clearly these words are meant for Jesus, but probably also for the disciples when they overheard that. To corroborate Jesus' identity, possibly for Jesus himself to be more assured of his identity. God the Father gave his only son. And his son was willing to come. He was willing to be the Messiah, the Redeemer. He was willing to be the go-between between man and God. To represent God to man and represent man to God. He became two natures, natures in one person. So where does this role take him? It takes him to Calvary, to the cross. To his death in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. Romans 8 verse 3. When Jesus dies on the cross, darkness descends. And God, God hides his face from Jesus. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes Psalm 22, one not from memory like we might but he quotes it from a broken heart. God has abandoned him. He no longer feels the warmth of God's arms around him and God's love, him telling him, you are my son and I love you. We often hear what's called the ironic blessing at, during a church service. Um, it goes something like this or like this. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You've probably heard that. Because of our sin, we laid on Jesus. What he heard in his father's silence was, the Lord curse you and be angry with you, hide his face from you and refuse to smile on you and give you hell. When Jesus cried out in Gethsemane, Father, let this cup pass from me. Is there no other way? Imagine what would have happened if God would have said, enough, enough, my son. 
They're not worth it. I can't let you endure this. You're too precious to me. But Jesus hears nothing from his father. Just silence. No voice reassuring him, you are my son, I love you. I've always loved you. Today, I've begotten you. Nothing. Dead silence. Jesus walks into Gethsemane, and he walks out of Gethsemane toward Calvary, totally by faith. Faith in the ultimate sense that his father won't forsake him to uphold the eternal covenant between the father and the son. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verses 6 through 9. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And last, there's a focus, focus in this text on us. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, as we read in Romans 8.28. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will, he also, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Paul's logic here is that Jesus has done everything necessary for our salvation. Right? So, for all that Jesus died for, all that he shed his blood for, all that he made atonement for, all that he died for, propitiation of their sins. Why would he not give them all things? He's not talking about a car, jewelry, or things of this world. He's talking about glory. He's talking about the new heaven. He's talking about God's purpose in saving you to conform you to the image of his son. He ensures all things work together for the good of those who love him so that the eventual outcome will be sure and certain. Our union with Christ can be summed up in these words. Because the Father has immeasurable love for the Son, he has immeasurable love for us. He has immeasurable love for us because we are in the Son. We are part of him. We are married to him. We're part of the family God looks at us as if we've always been there. The Father doesn't look at us and go, how did she get in here? Or, what's he doing here? No, he says, this is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son. And in him I'm well pleased. We could never create this unity on our own. We're one with Christ because we are in Christ. And we are in Him, and He is in us. And because that is true of you and me, then 
we are united to one another as well. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you had given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. John 17, verse 11. So why is it Good Friday? Why does it matter? What greater gift could you think of? What greater gift could you be given than the person and the work and the justifying grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? That is good news indeed on this day of sorrows. Not just good news, it's the best news ever. Do you know that good news? Do you know that your sin separated you from God, but he loves you so much? He gave up his son for you to pay that penalty. Your debt is paid in full. You won't have to pay it again. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Here's your takeaway. We are secure not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. We are secure, not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we can never fully comprehend your immeasurable love for us. While we were still sinners, you adopted us into your family and made us one with your son. We plead for your Holy Spirit to dwell in us and through your power, saturate us with the light that only you can provide. Let us feel the weight of your divine work of Jesus on the cross, and let, us, let that guide us in all that we do. Give us the strength and courage to show the grace that you have shown us, to forgive as we've been forgiven, and above all, to love as we have been loved. We thank you, we love you, it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could
He took my sin and my sorrows and He made them His very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died Shall it? 